John chapter 20 and verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Verse 2. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Now he's writing this about himself. Whom Jesus loved, John is writing here. And saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Verse 3. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, referring to himself, and came to the sepulcher. So they ran both together, and the other disciple, himself, did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. These two guys aren't competitive at all, are they? <laughs> Verse 5, and he stooping down and looking in saw the linen cloths lying, yet went he not in. Verse 6, then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. Verse 7, and the napkin that was about his head not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped himself or wrapped together in a place by itself. Verse 8, then went in also that other disciple, John again referring to himself, which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. For as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Now, do you see what's happening here? John says, I believed, but that other crowd, I can't speak for them. Verse 9, for as yet they knew not the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. I want to speak this morning on this subject, the unexpected resurrection. The unexpected resurrection. Would you bow your heads? Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful to be in your house today. Thankful for the opportunity to worship you. We ask you, Lord, that you would bless this message now as we preach your word without fear or favor. Anoint our hearts and minds to receive your word. Help us, God, to exalt you in all that we do, to give you glory and to give you praise. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. A number of years ago, my father uh, was pastoring this church, and we were a uh, much smaller congregation. We were meeting over on the east end of Palm Bay Road, and through some contact in the city, I'm not quite sure yet uh, how this came about, but we decided one Easter that we would give out rabbits. If you came to church on Easter morning, you would get a rabbit. And so everybody went home from the First Pentecostal Church in Palm Bay with a rabbit. My father built a nice little cage for our rabbit. I named him Peter Rabbit, and we had a beautiful little cage, and, and Peter was a lovely little rabbit, and he would hop around inside of his cage, and occasionally I would let him 
out of the cage and and uh, I would stay with him and he would hop around the yard and I made sure a German Shepherd or a, or a Labrador Retriever or something didn't get him and then we'd put him back in his cage and and uh, Peter Rabbit was for the most part always by himself one day as I went out to check on Peter Rabbit I became very concerned because the rabbit was pulling its fur out and was making a nest I soon learned that Peter Rabbit was not actually Peter Rabbit at all, but was more like Paula the Rabbit. Because many little rabbits showed up in the cage. Now you ask, how did she have baby rabbits? I do not know. It was some sort of immaculate conception. The rabbit produced all by itself unless she found another rabbit when I wasn't looking. But she did live a long and productive life, and we gave rabbits to every one of our friends, which were not our friends much longer after we gave them the rabbit. But all of the people that we could find in the neighborhood, we gave out rabbits. Now, there's some things that should appear to be obvious, but yet they are unexpected. I, I love the way that John writes this account of the resurrection in this book that bears his name. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Now John makes it clear that the Lord loves John. He doesn't speak for Mary or for Peter, but he makes it very clear that he is loved by the Lord. Now, John has the right to do this because John is telling the story. Have you ever noticed that when people are telling the story, they are always the hero in the story? My wife loves to do this. When she tells the story to our kids about something her and I have discussed, she sounds very normal and intelligent and well-spoken in the story as she recounts it. I, on the other hand, sound like the village idiot when she retells the story. And I'm like, wait a second. She'll tell the kids like, you know, I said to your father, you know, we need to go out tonight because we're busy and I don't have time. And your father's like, I don't want to go out, dude. I just want to stay at home and eat fried chicken. I'm like, I do not sound like that when I talk. But if, if you're telling the story, you get to do that because it's your story. So John was taking some creative license. He even makes it clear that he outran Peter. Not once, but three times he makes this clear. Verse 4, so they ran together and the other disciple himself did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. You would have thought that was enough, verse 4. But now he continues in verse 6. Then cometh Simon Peter following him. He makes it clear again. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, referring to himself. Then verse 8, then went in also that other disciple himself, John, which came first to the sepulcher. And he saw and believed. So John says, he loves me. I don't know about you guys. He loves me. And, on, and besides that, I'm a much faster runner than John or than Peter. I got there and he tells us that three times. Now he takes it to another level. He makes it clear that the other disciples did not believe, but yet he did. He even goes so far as to say in verse 9, for as yet they knew not the scripture. This crowd I'm running with, they just don't know the Bible. 
They don't know the scripture. They did not realize that he must rise again from the dead. He says that. He makes it clear that they knew not the scripture. Now, for me, that seems hard to believe. Even if they didn't know the scriptures, they should have known that he was going to rise again. Because I counted that Jesus told them at least 13 different times that he would rise again. So then John continues the narrative with the encounter that Mary had. Mary believes that someone stole the body. Now Jesus has told them at least 13 times that we know of that he would rise again. But when they get to the tomb, they say, who stole the body? Verse 11, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. As they're trying to make sense of this disappearance, Mary still thinks somebody has taken the body. But then she gets a revelation. Jesus is resurrected. Even though she had walked with the Lord, even though the disciples had been with him, even though he had told them at least 13 times, even though the Old Testament foretold and there was all this teaching, they still were not expecting a resurrection. Now, before you and I can sit in judgment of them, I would ask that you would consider your response. If you were friends with someone... And the friend told you, you know what? I just think when I die, I will be resurrected. And we say, that's wonderful. God bless you. And we have a funeral and we bury him in the ground. And then maybe a few months later, we go uh, to the grave to honor them. And there's nothing there but a big hole in the ground. Now, I want you to think about this. How many of you would think they resurrected? Not many. <laughs> we would go and visit the good folks at Fountainhead and say, what happened to my friend? Some things, ladies and gentlemen, are hard to believe, even if you hear it over and over and over again. It's still hard to believe that it will ever really happen. I don't know how many times I've heard them tell you on an airplane all about the safety speech and they tell you about the flotation device. You're going to now calmly put this thing over your head and then this is the little strap and it goes around and if you pull on the red tab, it will automatically inflate. If it doesn't, you, you blow on this little tube. Have you ever looked around the airplane when they're doing this? Nobody is listening. People are punching the little screen on the front wanting to know when the movie's going to start. And then they say, now would be a good time to take the little card out in front and to read it. And it gives all the safety. And here's where all the exit aisles are. And you look at the exit aisle and the people that are in the exit aisle, you know, are not going to help you at all. There's a guy sitting in there that can't walk. There's a lady in there that can't move. There's somebody with a busted arm. If this plane goes down and we have to all get out that door, we are all in trouble. And to make sure everyone is qualified to be in the exit row, here's what they come and do. Are you willing and able to help? Should there be? And I just need a verbal yes. Yes, yes, yes. There's no fitness test. They say they ask you this just to make sure you can speak English, but all you have to learn is one word. Yes. 
everybody listens to all of this safety speech and they do it over and over and over again. Now, why do people not listen? Because nobody thinks there's going to be a problem with the plane. If they did, they would not have got on the plane. Furthermore, if there is a problem with the plane, this inch of air in this life vest at 35,000 feet over land is not going to help me in it. And then they say there's a flotation device under your seat. You can pull that out just in case you need a little extra cushion. There's no way any of that is going to help people to the point that people seem very intent on listening to it. So we hear it over and over and over again, but we don't really think anything's going to happen. So when something does happen, everybody panics. That's the oxygen mask, put it on you, then your child for what? I can't remember all the instructions. As the plane is hurling toward Earth. I was on a plane one time in a storm and it was struck by lightning. Big L-1011 Delta jet. We were headed up to Atlanta and the plane got hit by lightning. A flash of lightning went through the plane and the whole plane boomed and then it rolled like that and oxygen masks fell and people started screaming and crying and I've never heard so many people pray in all of my life and I have grown up in church we had a revival on that plane I mean we just all knew we were dead and this one fella he got out in the aisle on his knees and threw his hands in the air and said Jesus don't fail me now I leaned forward. I said, hey, are you a Christian? He said, I am now. <laughs> I said, well, come up here and sit next to me. And boy, he was trembling and shaking. He said, as soon as this plane lands, if it lands, I promise God I'm going right back to church. He said, I grew up in a Jamaican church as a boy down in Jamaica. I know the right way to live, but I've gotten away from God. But if God will spare my life, I'm going back to church. Oh, aren't you thankful that you know where to go when you need help? There's a lot of things that happen in this life that you're not prepared for, that you're not expecting. But I'm glad that you and I know where we can go to get help in a time of need. He is our ever-present help. Woo! Hallelujah! It doesn't matter how much you may try to prepare for something in your mind. It is still a shock when it happens. No doubt the disciples felt the same way. This was during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It was a time when the children of Israel celebrated their deliverance from Egypt. It was a seven-day period where they would not eat bread with leaven in it. It was during this same seven-day stretch that Jesus was resurrected. So even if you were just a casual observer of history, you would think that the crucifixion would give you pause to consider at the very least the possibility that the resurrection of Jesus would coincide with the deliverance of Egypt. One event was a foreshadow of the second, and they both were illustrating the fact that we are delivered from the slavery and the tyranny of sin. Children of Israel coming out of Egypt, and Calvary was us being delivered from sin. So now that we look back 2,000 years later, it all makes perfect sense. You know why? 
because hindsight is 2020. You can see things clearly after the event is over. I saw a couple of days ago in the news, you may have seen this, that the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration now say they have determined that Hurricane Michael that made landfall six months ago in the panhandle of Florida was actually a Category 5 storm and not a Category 4 storm and that the winds were 160 miles per hour and it was only the fourth storm in history to make landfall at that intensity. But that's good that they've come to that conclusion six months later. <laughs> it would have been good to know that ahead of time. But six months later, it was really a bad storm. We figured that out when our house was flattened. <laughs> but all of this begs the question, how can we see things clearly before the event happens? What can we do to get clarity before it actually takes place? Ladies and gentlemen, the first thing that we have to do is that we have to look back so that you can see forward clearly. And that is essentially what we are doing today. We are looking back. We're looking back at an event that happened 2,000 years ago, and it caught people off guard. It was unexpected. Even those that were the closest to Jesus did not anticipate it. And when it happened, they thought somebody had stole the body. We have been preaching now for more than 2,000 years that Jesus is coming back. But somehow I think it is still going to catch people off guard. Us believers, those of us that go to church, those of us that study the word, perhaps the ones that feel the closest to Jesus, even for us, you and I, I think it will be an unexpected resurrection. Why? Because the Bible said he cometh as a thief in the night. So even though for 2,000 years we've been preaching that Jesus could come any day now, I don't think we really expect that he'll come before we get back to the car this afternoon. So even for all of us that go to church on a regular basis, it's going to catch us unexpected. But ladies and gentlemen, for you and I to get clarity about what's going to be in our future, we got to look back. And just as he rose again, he is coming back again. Just as he rose on the third day, Jesus Christ is coming back for a people that are prepared, that have been washed in his name, baptized, and sanctified by his spirit. It will happen it will happen a resurrection is an unexpected event and so is the mighty move of God in a situation that we think is hopeless how many times have we thought something is beyond the point of repair and yet Jesus comes in and shows his mighty hand of power. I'm sure nobody was expecting Lazarus to come walking out of the tomb either. I know for sure Martha didn't. She said, Lord, if you would have been here, he would not have died. We believe that you could have done it in the past. Jesus said, he's going to rise again. 
She said, oh, I know he will in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said, I am the resurrection. It's fixing to happen right now, Martha. Some of you say, oh, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I believe if we took a poll in here, at least 90% of you would say, I believe Jesus rose from the dead, or you wouldn't even be here in church this morning. You believe Jesus rose from the dead, and I truly believe that you believe that Jesus is going to come back one day, and the trumpet's going to sound, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. We believe that, but do you believe that God can touch you today? Do you believe God can change your situation today? Do you believe God can save your today? Do you believe God can save your children today? Do you believe God can give you a resurrection spirit right now? It's an unexpected resurrection, but that's the kind of God we serve. Woo, hallelujah. The Bible says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the day of the coming of the Son of Man. Second coming of the Lord is going to be much like it was in the days of Noah. Noah was preaching. Noah was preparing. Noah was building a massive ark. People looked at Noah as they walked by about the same way that people look at the flight attendants on Delta when they're going through the safety speech. Noah's like, repent! God is going to destroy the earth with water. Right. I need to stay away from the strange man. I can see people warning their children not to walk that way as they come home from school. That guy's crazy. Make sure you go a different way. Even if it talk, takes longer to go home, that's, he's that guy that's out there, and he's building that big old thing. I don't even know what it is, but... He's got his sons out there, Ham, Sham, and Jake. Those guys, you can tell they don't want to be there. They're building the ark because Dad said we got to build the ark. But why? I don't know. He thinks there's going to be some kind of a big flood or something. I think the guy's crazy. Perhaps if we looked at it in a more modern context, it would look something like this. A clip from the movie. Show hasn't even started yet. Still expecting the big flood. 
You know, voters don't respond to the gloom and doom stuff. They like a more positive message. Like the one you're sending with your bill? How much did you make off of all this land? You are destroying our national parks for profit. You have a problem with somebody taking a little profit? It's called business, son. So if I need to get a message out there, get a congressman elected, there are people who pay for it. And yes, those people want this bill to happen, and by God, it's going to happen. Now you look down there. Those are the wolves, son. I'm going to give you one last chance. Take down this boat. I'm giving you one last chance. Repent. Such a shame. You have possibilities. But you want to stop progress and save the earth. Go for it. Good luck getting a tree to come to the polls. Take it down. clip a dam breaks loose and floods the whole area and the people that get on the boat are saved there were no doubt in my mind people that were trying to get on the ark in the days of noah there must have been people that were saying it really is happening and the waters came quickly and we should have listened to them perhaps there were others that said he's been preaching this for a hundred years we should have listened but all of it was unexpected Ladies and gentlemen, you and I are a part of a world that is familiar with unexpected devastations. Certainly this world has witnessed more than one, tsunamis and fires and floods and Katrina and megastorms like Michael that caught us all off guard up there in the panhandle. We're familiar with unexpected devastation, but are we familiar? with an unexpected resurrection. Are we familiar with the fact that Jesus was not resurrected just one time 2,000 years ago, but he is in the business of giving us all a resurrection every day. He restores. He renews. Yes, we look back and we remember of this day that we celebrate more than 2,000 years ago. But we also look forward and we know that just when you think you can't go any further, there's a God that steps into your life and my life and brings hope back. He comes storming back into our lives. We get our second win. We know that it's not over yet. It doesn't matter what has happened to you in this life. It doesn't matter what despair, what kind of disappointment, what hurt, what heartache, what calamity. I'm going to tell you about a God, hallelujah, that can make everything brand new again. Let me illustrate it to you this way. A team that's on the brink of defeat 
gets their second win and comes charging back. A boxer is on the mat, and the count goes to eight after he has been pummeled. But somewhere along the lines, he gets his second win, and he gets back up on his feet, and he continues the fight. Ladies and gentlemen, that's the same way it is when God comes and restores life to you and I. A situation that you thought was a dead end. Maybe somebody hurt you when, a, when you were a child. Maybe somebody has disappointed you in a relationship. Maybe you've gone through some betrayal. But God's got a resurrection for you. I'll never forget as a kid listening to the USA hockey team as they were playing the Russian hockey team in the middle of the Cold War. And there was no way that we ever thought we could beat the Russians. They were a group of professionals and our team was just college students and amateurs. But this group believed that they could win. And as the game went on, it appeared that the momentum started to shift. And this group of young men began to play with all of their heart. And before long, it looked like it was very possible that there could be a victory for the United States hockey team. People were glued to their televisions and radios. And I remember as a kid listening and hearing Al Michaels thunder into the microphone. Do you believe in miracles? As the United States hockey team defeated the Russians. I ask you the same question today. Do you believe in miracles? Do you believe that God can make a way when there seems to be no way? Do you believe God can restore a life? Do you believe God can deliver from sin? Do you believe God can do anything? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe in unexpected resurrections? Do you believe you can come back from despair, from the hurt, from the loss, from the betrayal? Do you believe that Jesus can resurrect you from the tomb of trouble? Do you believe Jesus is coming back one day? It could be today or tomorrow, or it may be next year. But when it comes, I want to be ready. Hallelujah. I said, I want to be ready. You can be ready today. Because the Bible says in Romans 8, 11, if the same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies. Hallelujah. He's a still a God of resurrections. Just stand to your feet this morning. Do you believe that you can be saved today? That spirit is called the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost. You can be resurrected on this Resurrection Sunday. You can say, God, I am tired of trying to do this on my own. I want to be right with you because I do believe you're coming back one day. And I want to be able to see things clearly now before the event takes place. How do I do that? I can't just look through the microscope of human logic and try to put some rational explanation on the supernatural. You'll never be able to do that, my friend. That's why this Christian walk is a walk of faith. We believe. We don't understand it all. We can't explain it all. But we believe. We believe Jesus is coming back. We're crazy enough to believe that God can forgive us of our sins. We believe that Jesus can heal a sick body. He can heal us physically and emotionally and spiritually. We believe that we can lift our hands and our hearts to the Lord. 
and that God is an ever-present help in a time of need and that he can come right now into our hearts and into our lives and wrap his arms of love around us. We can know for ourselves. You don't have to take my word for it. You can know him for yourself. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Why wait until it's too late? Why not do something about it right now? You have opportunity. You have clarity. It's Easter morning. All you need is boldness. Boldness to step out from where you're standing. To walk this short walk to this altar. And to say, Lord, here I am. I'm asking you, Lord, right now to do something that only you can do in my life. I wonder right now, would you lift your hands all over this building? And would you close your eyes and would you pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, I present to you, Lord, this beautiful congregation of people. We have assembled here today, God, to glorify you. But we know, Lord, that this is not just some story of history. But, God, that you are here right now in this moment. And you desire to do a work in every person's life. You desire that every single person would be saved and not lost. I'm asking you, God, right now, that as your people step forward, that they would feel your presence and your love. I'm asking you to pour out your spirit upon every single individual. Heal those that are brokenhearted. Touch those, God, that may need a touch in their body or healing in their life. Do the work, God, that only you can do. In the name of Jesus Christ, God bless you. You're welcome to come forward. If you'll just step out from where you're standing, let's gather in the front right now. Come on right now. God will do the work. God is reaching for you right now. Come on, as you come and stand here, you can lift up your hands and lift up your voice. And the God of glory will come down. He will touch you. Oh, that's beautiful. People are coming from all over the building. Come on. Come on, the door to the ark is still open. God is still calling. God is still drawing. God is still reaching. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, that's it. Come on, people will pray with you. Just come down and stand at this altar and lift up your hands and say, Lord, I'm ready to receive you. That's it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Okay. 